this is the last week of a teaching series that we're in called Armor of God, Wake Up to the War. And uh, I'm, honestly, I'm, I'm going to miss this teaching series because I think there's been a level of, uh, of stirring up in our body that's come from what we've been studying. Not that God has been speaking things all along the whole existence of our church. He really has been speaking very clearly and doing great things since the beginning of the year. But there's something about this season of studying Scripture together, the way we've been learning about who the enemy is, why he's waging his war, and um, where we fit into the fight. All of those things are something that he's been doing, something very special. And uh, I was thinking about how, how the apostle Peter, you guys know who I'm talking about? One time he said, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, meaning as long as I'm alive, as long as I'm in this body and I have breath in this body. He said, I consider it right to stir you up by way of reminder. That's what he says. And I thought about how we are stirred up. The body here at Soma is really stirred up. And you are stirred up, right? A lot of you are stirred up. The reason that we're stirred up is because we have been reminded by God's word just how real and just how relevant all this stuff that we're learning is. In fact, what's going on in the spiritual realm influences what we experience here in the natural realm. Do you guys believe that? Well, if that's the case, then it's really important for us to stay stirred up, whether we're on this topic or any other topic, for us to stay stirred up, for us to stay stirred up. And I really think that's what Paul, tonight we're on the sword of the spirit. It's the last one of the armor of God. I think that's more than anything what Paul is wanting to say. And in fact, if you look at, if you look at what he says in the beginning, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And he says, put on the full armor of God. And then he goes into the armor of God. And then he bookends, really, I think, and I'll show you this tonight. He bookends that statement, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He puts a book in. In other words, there's a book here, or not a book in here, and then a book in here with the sword of the Spirit. And he's really saying the same thing, same thing. And that is this, and I'm going to give you this whole sermon in a sentence. So if you want to write it down, you can. It's not on the PowerPoint tonight. I had some technical difficulties. But it's this, okay? So this is the sermon tonight. Stronger is always better than strong. Stronger is always better than strong. Be strong in the Lord. Okay, we need to be strong in the Lord. We need to have our faith. We need to, we need to be in the faith. But then it says, and in the strength of his might. In other words, we're in the faith, but we're also in the fight. And we're in the fight on purpose because we've made, been made aware through texts like this and other ones that we'll look at that there is something going on in the heavenlies against us against God, against anything that will bring glory to God is a real fight. Be strong in the Lord. Be fortified. Be strong. But also get stronger in the strength of his might. We've talked about in the Momentum series that we can grow in our faith. We can strengthen our faith. We can become more equipped. We can become stronger. So stronger is always better than strong. Isn't that right? Now let me show you why I think that's what he's saying. Go ahead and turn to Ephesians 6. Let me show you why I think that's what he's saying as he closes this up, remember he gives these, all these armors, pieces of armor, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, uh, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. Um, last week we talked about, that was what we talked about last week, the helmet of salvation. 
And then he says, in addition to all this, taking up the shield of faith in which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation. And then he says, and take up also the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. A lot of times whenever I have preached on this particular verse, the idea of the sword and the spirit and all that, and other pastors too, a lot of times when you, when you hear a teaching on that, there's a focus on the word. And so you hear a whole message designed to talk about how important God's word is. And that is totally true because he says the sword of the spirit, which is the word. So that makes sense, right? And we're going to talk about that a little bit towards the end. Or you might hear a message, a sword of the Spirit. So we'll talk about the things of the Spirit. We'll talk about the Holy Spirit and all kinds of stuff that come out. And that's true too, right? Because it says it's the sword of the Spirit. We're going to bring some of that in tonight as well. But in the context, because he is the master of metaphors and he is great at giving analogies, just like we learned with all the other pieces of armor, when he says the sword of the Spirit, when he looked at that Roman soldier who he was trained with, guarding him day and night, he saw that sword and he said, man, there's something to this too. And he begins thinking and then he begins writing. And when he does, he has an analogy in mind. And it starts with really two words. We'll start with sword. We kind of get spirit. And we think we get word. We'll look at that in a minute. But it starts with sword. The sword that he's talking about may not be what naturally comes to our mind when we think sword. We think sword and we instantly go to Braveheart or we go to um, a movie like that where they got these big honking long swords. You guys know what I'm talking about? And they're, they're, um, they're fighting and they're really fighting from a distance. A Roman soldier, a soldier in that time, would have actually had two swords. He would have had the kind of sword that you were this long and big and honking that he could fight kind of from a distance. He's mowing people down, you know, before they get too close to him. But that's not the sword that this is talking about. When you look at the the original language, the word for sword here is describing um, dagger. It means dagger. And it's really describing the 18 inches or so dagger that he would have had strapped to him at some point, uh, some place on his, on his belt or whatever, that he would have had on him. He would have had the big long sword for fighting from afar, but then he had this dagger. And what do you think this dagger was meant for? It was for up and close battle, right? This is for whenever I fought so hard, somebody hit my sword or I dropped my sword, and now it's getting so close and personal this time, baby. It's game time. You want to throw, throw down at the playground, you know, and he pulls out this knife and it's a whole different kind of battle because this isn't a sword that you fight from afar. This is one that I've got to be up close and personal. So that's one thing to consider, but also consider this is the only, this is the only offensive weapon mentioned in this. You got a shield of faith, helmet of salvation, You've got the, uh, the belt of truth, all those. And we talked about how each week, each one of those is meant to help you stand your ground. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm. That means to stand your ground, not be pushed back to those old places of living and existing and thinking. But to stand firm, it actually means don't give up ground. That's what those things mean. Stand firm. Don't give up ground. But this one doesn't mean that. This one means let's take a little ground. This is an offensive weapon. This is one that we charge forward with. There are times when we, we stand in our ground, we're, 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 we're holding off the enemy, and we're doing those things and whatever, but there are times when we launch forward with a different kind of weapon. It's an offensive weapon, and it is meant to be up close and personal kind of a fight. 
Now, I want you to think about this. If it is, I wish that, I should have brought some sort of knife. I've got plenty of them in the house. I've got three sons, you know. Think about what it takes to be offensive with an 18-inch dagger. I mean, it's up close and personal. What do you think is necessary for you to actually be able to take some ground? How about skill? Think about it. If you're going to go toe-to-toe with someone else that close, and you're going to use this thing, it's not from afar where I can mow them down from, it's right here, then you've got to be skilled at fighting. And it's great. Now, it's great to be strong. It's great to be able to resist. But when it's time to move forward, that calls for a whole other level of fighting, doesn't it? And I don't mean this the way it sounds, but anybody can stand behind a shield. Right? But not anybody can move forward in a fight with a knife. How many of you guys like Jason Bourne? You guys, you don't know the Jason Bourne? Was it the third one where he and that dude, they end up in the bathroom you guys remember that scene? And he doesn't even have a knife. He has one of those old school razors that you shave with. And he's, one guy's got a towel, one guy's a razor. And they're like fighting with towels and razor, but they're up close. That scene is so intense because it's like, how did all three of them even get in the bathroom? The film guy and the guy. But it's, just think about how up close and, and, and personal that is. I mean, Ken, come up here. I'm going to get, can I, this is a youth pastor coming out, Amy. Come up here. I mean, they're like this. You know what I mean? So squabble with me. I mean, this is like this, you know? Okay, now anybody can do this, but we can, if we're having fun right now, but what if we were really swinging? Look at him backing up. Y'all notice that? <laughs> Go sit down. But think about it. If you were up close, and when I say up close, I mean up close with who? The enemy. Because there are times when the enemy's strategy, remember we've talked about how he will size us up? And form up a plan? Well, sometimes that plan, it involves getting as close to your business as possible. And at that point, you've got to have a level of strength, a level of skill that's going to take some work to get there. Isn't that true? And that's when stronger is much better than strong. It's good to be strong in the Lord, but that's when you need to be able to be in the strength of His might. And that's really where the idea of the Spirit comes in because everything that we do in life, in godliness, and certainly in battle has to be in the Spirit because if it's not in the Spirit, then it's going to be in the what? The flesh. Remember what it says in 2 Corinthians 10? For though we walk in the flesh, in other words, we're flesh and blood, we're skin, and we walk that way, we have fleshly feet, we do not war According to the flesh. For the weapons, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, flesh and blood, but he says, mighty in God. Well, the only way it's mighty in God is if we're doing it in the Spirit. Right there, he's, Paul does what he does best. He, he gives that, um, that fight that's always between flesh and the Spirit. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not carnal, but they're mighty in God. Now, some people might be in God, and that's good, and that is strong. But are they mighty in God? And really, you guys, I don't know if you've experienced that. How many of you have experienced, I am a Christian, I go to church, I was born and bred at Sunday school, and I got the plaque, and I got everything, I'm good to go. But you're just getting torn up every day. It's so up close and personal. You got black spiritual, black eyes, scars, wounds. You guys hear what I'm saying? 
And if we all were honest with us, uh, with each other or ourselves, we would say, yes, I was strong in the Lord. I'm in the faith and I have him on my side. And there is a power and strength that comes in that. But like we learned a couple weeks ago about the flaming arrows, there are times when we have got to move forward in the strength of his might. And that talks about a whole other level of skill, preparedness, being ready than just, just existing. I mean, even when he says, which is the word of God? He says, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Did you know that that word for word is probably not the word that you think it is? You have three words for word. This is going to get tricky. <laughs> you have the word, uh, what is it, graphe, which just means this book, this book, the good book, scriptures. Okay. How many of you got a graphe on your coffee table at home? How many of you grew up with a graphe on your coffee table at home? Some of you may have grown up with a graphe on your coffee table at home, but that's where it stayed. You don't have to raise your hand, but that's probably true. That's one word for word in the Bible. The scriptures, okay? The scriptures. And then you have logos. Most of us have heard that, right? How many of you use Logos software to study God's Word? Some of you may use Logos. Logos, and I wrote this down. Let me see if I can find it. Logos, so Graphe is the book. I own the book. Logos is the message within the book. In other words, I understand what the book says. I mean, I am faithful to Sunday school. I take notes during, during the message. That's Logos. You got Graphe, the book, and then you got Logos, understanding of the book. Man, you just got a lot of this. And I would say a lot of people in here have a lot of this, a lot of logos. A lot of Christians may have a lot of logos, but that's still not the word that he says is the sword of the Spirit. The word he uses there is called rhema. Have you ever heard that word rhema, the rhema word of God? And people define that in different ways. But essentially, it is this book becoming active. God speaking to you, you speaking it, you doing something with it. God doing something with it in you, and you doing something with the Word. So think about that. Take up the sword of the Spirit, this offensive weapon, which is not just a graphe on your coffee table, not just a good logos understanding of the Word, but walk in an active wielding, swinging, slicing, and dicing of it. Remember what he said in Second Corinthians? He said, um, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God. For what? Pulling down strongholds. That's what he said. I've been looking so forward to this message, this whole series. It's mighty in God, the Word of God, the reign of God, speaking through the power of the Holy Spirit to do things, to work things that will literally pull down strongholds. The shield doesn't pull down anything. A helmet doesn't pull down anything, except for your bangs. You know what I mean? The belt of truth doesn't pull down anything. Hopefully. (laughs) But the sword of the Spirit has the power to actively pull something down. Are you guys with me? The sword of the Spirit has the ability, when it's active, when it's rhema, when we're hearing God speak, and it's at the appropriate time. Now think about that. Think about that. Got the rain, I got the graphe, I got the logos. But then there's this time where the battle gets up close and personal. And it's time to pull out this 18-inch dagger and go to fighting. 
Well, when you go to fight, you better have access to something. That's when you need the Spirit of God to make alive all the logos that you think you know. Are you guys with me? That's what Paul's saying. But the only way you have that is if you have not just been strong in the Lord, but you have been in the strength of His might. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. And is that it's not just put at bay. Please hear me on this because this is the main point. These things, these weapons, these, these fights, this struggle, this thing coming against you isn't just put at bay. No, it's pulled down. You know what I mean? It's not like put, just pushed back to come at me again another day. No, it's, it's brought down. The power of the Word of God, the rhema, when it's illuminated by the Holy Spirit and active, has the power to bring down strongholds, bring down those things. That are, like, it doesn't exist anymore. Do you believe that? I don't know if as many Christians believe that as should believe that. Mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Some of your versions might say um, pulling down of fortresses. And the idea is this, this thing that comes against us that is strong, that is fortified, that is mighty. This enemy that's coming against us that is super, super strong. But because of the rhema word of God and us using it actively, that, as strong as it is, will be brought down. And honestly, God's desire is that it never return. Do you believe that? Can I show you a place in the Bible where we see that happen? Okay, look at Second Chronicles chapter 14. Now, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. So if I start jumping and spitting and yelling, then... Somebody go get a glass of water and throw it on me. Because I'm super excited about where this, where this section ends. Because this is what God intends. Remember how I said it's this, even what Paul was saying is a bookend? I started with this and I'm finishing with it. I'm starting with finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And he ends with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And, and contextually, what he is saying is that you have the ability to bring this stuff down forever. As long as mighty in God. So let's look at this. This is the story of Asa. And this is a pretty involved story. Most of the story we see right here. But you're also going to find some of the story in, um, in Kings. First, uh, Second Kings, I think. And if you look at verse 2. Second Chronicles 14. Verse 2. It says that Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. Okay, let me just pause right there. When it introduces his father... Abijah, it introduces him as someone who did not do right in the sight of the Lord. It says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay? Asa's dad and his grandma, I hate to say this about a grandma, but they were wicked. And together, Abijah and Maacah was his grandma's name, they set up these detestable idols. Several different kinds, but one of them is called the Asherim or Asherah poles. And basically what they were, let me look at the crowd, look at the crowd. We should be good to go. Basically, they were sex gods. Asherah was the goddess of fertility, the goddess of increase. Okay? And they worshipped her, and she was covered with breasts. I was going to show a picture, but I, I just thought, no. Probably shouldn't do that. Asa's 
dad and grandma. Grandma? <laughs> Granny? Nana? We call ours Nana. I'm trying to think of Charlotte going, guess what we're going to set up? Oh, it's no, Grandma! What about the cookies? What about Christmas? Can't do it. But she did. Asa's dad, Abijah, and his grandma set up the Asherim, the Asherah poles, and these detestable idols, and led the people of Judah into worshiping false gods in high places. That's what Asa grew up with. <laughs> but even though he grew up in that, when he became king, when it was his turn, it says that Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord. And listen to what he does. Man. It says, For he removed the foreign altars in high places, tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherim. Some of your translations say the Asherah poles. And commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers. Now, let me just say that. He became king and he walked in his authority. Say that with me. He became king and he walked in his authority. He could have... He could have said, I'm kind of scared of grandma. I'm scared of the people. I don't know what to do. He said, I don't care. I'm king now, and we're going to worship God. And he says that he commanded the whole nation of Judah to seek the Lord of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. And then look what it says in verse 5. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was undisturbed under him. Now let me pause right quick because when you look at this account in the story of Asa in, in Kings, it says that he deposed his grandma. In other words, he kicked her out of the palace. One of the things that he had to do to move forward with making things right in the kingdom of Judah was get rid of grandma. Can you imagine firing grandma? No more cookies, no more Christmas. Can you imagine? I want you to think about that. What it took for Asa to make things right. He had to get rid of grandma. Are y'all following with me? Is this a good story? So you can look at that. You can look at the story of Asa in the, in the book of Second uh, Kings, I believe it is, and read all that. So he got rid of grandma. He got rid of the Asherah poles. He did all this stuff. He fought for what was right at, at a very, very costly. What, I mean, what happens when you fire grandma? I can't even imagine. He also removed the high places. It says that the kingdom was undisturbed under him. In other words, there was peace. Now you have to understand under Abijah and other, other kings, they were constantly at war, constantly at war, constantly at war, nations coming against him, constantly. But when he did this, it says that he, um, the kingdom was undisturbed, and we'll talk about that in a second. And then it says this, that he built fortified cities in Judah. Now, when I first learned this story and read this story, I read this out. This is the NAS version, New American Standard Bible. But I learned it and I read it out of the NIV version. And this is what it says. That he built up the fortified cities of Judah. And I remember way back then thinking, fortified. What does fortified mean? Somebody tell me what fortified means. Huh? It means strong. It means the city of Judah, this place was strong. He did what he did. He inherited his kingdom, and it was apparently fortified, right? It was strong. But look what he, see, he said he did. He built up the fortified cities. In other words, he made that which is strong stronger. Why? Because stronger is always better than strong. 
Now keep that in mind. He built up that which was already fortified. And some of your versions say it talks about how he fortified the city. He built up walls. I mean, think about any city in that time, any city that was always constantly at war. Don't you think it was fortified? I mean, the implication is that it was, of course, there was a level of strength to it. But he said, you know what? During this time of being undisturbed, during this time of peace, in fact, let me go ahead and read this so you'll know this in context. For he said to himself, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers and gates and bars. The land is still ours because we, why? Because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and they prospered. They built and they prospered. Now pause right there. The, the amount of peace they had was 10 years. They had 10 years of peace. So for 10 years, they had peace. Why? Because he, uh, Asa honored God, got rid of the detestable stuff. They were undisturbed, not at war for 10 years. Now, I don't know about you, but after six months, I'd probably start relaxing. You know, nobody's coming against us. Nobody can, hey, nobody's coming against us. Somebody go get me a pina colada. <laughs> I'm about to take a nap. I'm going down by the beach and get me an umbrella and a pina colada. Right? In fact, bring me to Pina Colada. No, I'm kidding. Sorry. Sorry. My bad. But that's not what he did. That city was fortified. But during this time of peace, when things were going well, he built up that which was already strong. Why? Stronger is always better than strong. So for 10 years, for 10 years, he built up. And he didn't take a break. In fact, it says that he... Uh, Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah bearing large shields and spears, 280,000 from Benjamin uh, bearing shields and wielding bows, and then all of them were valiant warriors. In other words, he spent this time building up the city, training his warriors. Building up the city, training his warriors. Some of them may have even had 18-inch daggers, and they were probably bad to the bone. Some of them may have even tried out for the Bourne movies. These guys were bad, and they were ready. That's essentially what Paul is saying, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword, not a big long sword that you can swing and just maybe hit stuff, one that you have to use, wield, fight with, with skill and precision, if it's going to be that up close and personal. Are you with me? This is important, isn't it? And it's not just holding a Bible. I have this Bible in my house on my coffee table, so I am okay. You know what that's called? That's called a rabbit's foot. (laughs) Isn't that right? I got this thing. Rub that thing three times. I'll be all right all year. It's not the word he used. The rhema. Putting in action the logos, what you understand. Putting it in action when it's time to put it in action, what you understand about the word. But you're not going to understand it if you keep it on the coffee table. The graphe is important, the logos is important, but the most is important is when we're active with it. Why? Because it's sharper than any double-edged sword. Powerful, active. Amen? Hebrews 4. I want you to look what happens. Ten years, two pina coladas. Every day. We'll keep the Ethiopians away. That's not true. Look at verse 9. Now, Zerah, the Ethiopian, some of your versions may say the Cushite because it was the ancient army of Cush. Now, Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army. Now, some of yours, I remember in NIV when I read it, it said with a vast army. How many of yours say a vast army? 
Raise your hand if you're says, came against him with a vast army. That vast means that it's too many to even number proposed to be a million or more. Would you say that is an enemy that may, have the, that may be fortified? Remember, mighty in God for the bringing down, the tearing down, the pulling down of strongholds, fortified things that are powerful, things that should overpower us with ease. This is it. This is the army. Because what did he have? He had 300,000 from Judah, 280,000 from Benjamin. That's roughly whatever that math is. But it was nothing like a million. So he goes out on this battlefield and he's like, ooh, you know what I mean? So look what it says. So Asa went out to meet him. Whoa, are you kidding me? A million people out there? It's time to go. <laughs> right? It's not what he said. He said, I've spent my time making that which is strong stronger. And it says that he goes out. He doesn't wait for them with a shield. He says, I'm going out. I'm going out there. And look what he says happened. He gets out there, and this is where it says, Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, God, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerless and those who have no strength. In other words, we're about to get killed unless you sow yourself faithful. We don't battle against flesh and blood. The weapons of warfare are not, are not carnal, but they are mighty in God, in the Spirit, and have the ability to bring, back, bring down those things that are way bigger than we should even be fighting. And he knows that. In this moment, though this is the Old Testament, he's stepping out in the rhema word of God. Why? Because he, something he knows, logos, is that there is no one besides you to help in battle. He knows that, but he didn't run, did he? He knows that, Logos, but he stepped out with some rhema. He put what he knew into action, and he believed it. Look what he says. So help us, O Lord, our God, for we trust in you. And in your name we have come against this multitude, this fortified enemy, this vast army, this stronghold. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. All of a sudden, this million-man million army took off running. Asa and the people who were with him pursued them. So a million people are running away, and Asa's like, let's go get them. <laughs> I mean, this is insane. But that's what Paul is saying. Look, you are skilled with this blade. You are to get to the point where you are so confident that you are going to move forward, be active, step out with some rhema word, what you believe about God, and fight with it. Not just push back, hold, hold steady, but advance forward, actively going out. It says that Asa went after them and pursued them as far as Gerar. And listen to me. They, they engaged in battle. And I want you to hear this because this is it. This is it. This is what I've been waiting to get for this whole series. And so many Ethiopians fell that they could not recover. For they were shattered before the Lord 
and before Asa's army, God's army, his army. Isn't that good? You can't tell me that's not what God wants for you. Some of you may be thinking, well, God's just got me in this. I mean, this is my lot in life. You know, I've actually heard people say that. This is, what, this is my lot in life. Just for one year to be as bad as the next. For me to struggle with that day in, day out. Nope. It's not what it says. Paul opens with a statement. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be, in, be of the faith, but also be in the faith. Put yourself in the faith. And he ends with this, essentially the same thing. Fight with the sword of the Spirit. Train yourself. Get stronger. Build up your faith. There's a thousand ways to say that. Because stronger is always better than strong. Some of you feel like, I'm strong. I'm strong. You know, there's a time where Paul was writing to Timothy. And he said, man, I was thinking about you the other day. And I thought about how faithful you are. How full of faith you are. Just like your, your grandma you share, listen to me, listen to me. You share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that the same faith continues strong in you. But you know what the very next thing he says? Let me remind you to stir yourself up in spiritual gifts. The King James Version says it like this. I want to remind you to stir up the gift of God in you. So here's a man that grew up in the faith. If you look at chapter 3 of the same chapter, it talks about how his grandma and and mother sewed into him. Grandma, there's the grandma thing again. Timothy grew up with a good grandma. Good cookies. (laughs) Didn't worship that stuff we were talking about earlier. Lois and Eunice, sowing into them the righteousness of God day in and day out, teaching them the scriptures, building him up. Here he is now. He, he, he followed with Paul for 10, 15 years, learning how to do the stuff Paul was doing. Paul eventually puts him in a charge of the Ephesian church, the church of Ephesus, so mature in his faith that he was able to be a pastor of a whole church. And yet he says, I want to remind you, I want to remind you, to stir yourself up. Some of your versions say to fan the flame. Stir yourself up in the faith. There's none of us that are going to be okay just being genuinely strong. We have to strengthen ourselves. Sharpen the weapons of our warfare. They're not carnal. They're not carnal. So quit serving more so that you'll be stronger. That doesn't do it. Don't stop serving. Stop doing these things in the flesh that you think is going to strengthen you. Put on the full armor of God. Strengthen yourself. Be mighty in God because that's what pulls down these strongholds. If you look back, what did Asa do? He made things right. He tore down the strongholds in his life that were generational. His grandma was loony. He grew up looking at that stuff all the time. He should have been twisted and unable to do anything godly and right. But he did. Because he had God on his mind and he moved forward. (laughs) This is good, isn't it? The things that you think will never change, will never go away. You think God's intention is just to keep them at bay in your life. Keep them at bay. Keep them. That's not God's intention. His intention is that they be brought down never to recover. It said shattered, gone. 
This is what I've wanted to get to. As your friend, as your pastor, this is what I've wanted to get to. We've built the foundation for that statement. Do you hear what I'm saying? We've built the foundation. We've built this firm foundation, this solid rock of truth that supports what we just learned. That he will tear down these strongholds to the point where they will not recover. But you can't expect that to happen with your grafe sitting on the table. You can't expect that to, to experience that without diving and learning from the Word. Be a part of a Bible study. Be a part of a home group. Do a personal Bible study. Watch some videos online. Whatever you got to do to get an understanding of this. Because there's going to come a day where the enemy is going to come so close. And his army is going to be, his pursuit, his advance towards you is going to be so vast. It's unsurmountable. What do I do? Oh, I know what. I've been training for this. I'm going to get my dagger out. Let's do this. Uh, like I said, I, I felt like tonight was a very special night. It's closing out this series. And we've got more great things coming. God's doing so many neat things. Come next week and you hear about it. But I, just like, um, what was your daughter's name? Vivian. Just like Vivian found that little ring with a ruby. I think the fact that a ruby, that ruby was crimson red, it's not wasted on me. Why? Because Jesus' blood was crimson red. Amen? It all begins and ends with Christ. And all this doesn't mean anything unless you know the Lord. If you're someone that, if you've just never come to know the Lord, you've never put your faith in Yeshua, Jesus, dude, why wait? The enemy's coming after you either way. Isn't that true? At least dive into the Word of God and have the strength not just to put him at bay for your life to be completely changed. Amen.